The scripture reading can be found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 11 to 13. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. This day on the church calendar, as I mentioned at the beginning, is known as uh, Trinity Sunday. And uh, Trinity Sunday always follows immediately after, the, the very next Sunday after uh, Pentecost. And it, it's the uh, last important day in the church calendar until the beginning of Advent. And all around the world today, at least in the uh, more liturgical churches, the, the focus is going to be on the Trinity. And I think there's something uh, remarkable about that. People like you and me on just about every uh, continent uh, will be coming together and uh, remembering the God who reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. M my mother will sometimes say on Sunday afternoon when I uh, call that uh, her pastor preached on the same text as you did uh, today. And, and I'll say, yes, Mom, uh, I mean, it's not a coincidence. Uh, uh, I I'm glad to hear it, but I'm not surprised. I mean, there, is a, there is a reason that that happens. Anyway, let's, let's read together one of the classic texts in Scripture about the Trinity, uh, though uh, a text that does not use that word. And there are others, of course. We heard one in the first lesson uh, for today. Uh, but this is probably the best known, and it's found in Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, too, is the word of the Lord. Uh, friends of Jesus Christ, I want to spend a few minutes with you uh, this morning uh, uh, thinking deeply about a subject that is very, very important uh, to us, but, but one that we seldom talk about, namely the Trinity. And uh, there's a temptation that I feel whenever I approach a subject like this, to be kind of apologetic about it. In other words, I feel as though I should apologize for getting all theological with you instead of being pastoral or practical, which is, it is in my heart to do. No one has ever actually said this to me, but one comment that I fear hearing is, Doug, don't give us abstracts, theological ideas. This is not a seminary classroom. Uh, just give us something to hold on to. We're struggling people. All right, so give us something that we can take home. Uh, Anne Lamott, uh, an American writer, famously 
summed up this point of view in one of her early books. She was at a, a point in her life where she was overcome by addiction to alcohol, among other things. And, and so she said, I, I, I didn't need to understand the hypostatic union of the Trinity. I just needed to turn my life over to whoever came up with redwood trees. Okay, I, I, I get that. Uh, I understand the feeling uh, behind those words. So what I want to do today is to talk about the Trinity in a way that will be helpful to us. Uh, in a way that will give us something solid to stand on. Uh, if you call yourself a believer, if you are a, a Christ follower, I think that this is one of those subjects that we should know about and that we should feel confident talking about. Uh, one theologian has pointed out, and, and I don't think I'd ever paid much attention to this before, but one contemporary theologian uh, who was anticipating this, this criticism uh, that uh, teaching about the Trinity is not very practical, uh, said that when the world of the disciples was collapsing about them, uh, when Jesus' arrest and death uh, uh, were just hours away, w when they had just eaten their last meal together, uh, what was it? What was the subject right, that Jesus chose to talk about with them? Do you know? I'll read uh, John chapter 17. There, there are long paragraphs there. Uh, about how Jesus and the Father are one. I am in the Father, he said, and the, uh, the Father is in me. And that, that's Trinitarian language. And uh, we may not see the comfort in, in those words, but Jesus meant to be uh, comforting to his disciples that night. You know something? I, I think that most of us know uh, this subject intuitively. Uh, anyone who's ever had an experience of God uh, whether we have the language to describe it or not, uh, everyone has had an experience of the Trinity. And I'll come back to that in a moment because I think that's the key point. Uh, uh, but I can't help uh, tell you this story, which I found last week, and I like it. There's an American preacher uh, named George Buttrick. He died more than 30 years ago. Uh, uh, but one day, according to the story, he was sitting on an airplane and he was scribbling some notes on a pad of paper and, uh, these were sermon notes, and, and, and no one does that anymore, which shows you how old the, the story is. Uh, anyway, as he was writing, the man in the, the seat next to him on the airplane asked what he was working on, and Buttrick very pleasantly said, uh, oh, I'm working on my sermon for next Sunday. I'm a preacher. And, and to that, the man said, oh, religion. Well, uh, I like to keep my religion simple, uh, no complicated doctrines. Uh, do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. That's my religion. And one reason I like this story is that, uh, <laughs> uh, is that I know how these airplane conversations go when the person next to me finds out what I do. So Buttrick, uh, uh, who thought faster than I usually do in those situations, uh, said, I see, and, and, and what is it that you do? Uh, to which the man replied, well, I teach in the science department at the university. I, I am an astronomer. Ah, yes, astronomy, uh, Buttrick said. Well, I, I don't like to get too technical about my science. Uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Uh, that's my astronomy. Why would anyone want to know more than that? So I've never been able to think that fast in, in those situations, uh, to be that clever, but uh, I like the challenge in that. And I hope you feel it, and I hope uh, you like that challenge as well. The golden rule... Not a bad place to start. 
right? Uh, just as the, the creator of redwood trees was not a bad place for Anne Lamont to start. But maybe there is more that we could and should know. Uh, I think that uh, we should expect no less from our faith uh, than from any other area in our lives. In fact, maybe you'll agree with me that we should expect a great deal more. I mean, if we're going to anchor our lives in something, if, if we're going to give our ultimate allegiance to something, then that thing, whatever it is, should be as strong and solid as anything you can imagine. Uh, to get back to the Trinity, it just so happens that quite a few people are uh, talking about this subject right now, and, uh, which is amazing when you think about it, given how secular uh, our uh, culture is. And, and the reason they're talking about the Trinity is largely because of a movie, uh, which was based on a, a best-selling book, both of which are called uh, The Shrek. I was hoping you recognized the, uh, the title. Uh, the book, which is a novel, was published in, in 2007, and the movie appeared in theaters just this spring, so both are very recent. Uh, full disclosure, I've read the book, I have not seen the, the movie. Uh, as far as the book is concerned, it was uh, one of those things that I thought I should read in case someone asked me about it. Uh, it, it was not something I was all that keen to read uh, on my own, and when I was finished reading it, I thought, hmm, that was interesting. Uh, as you can imagine, it leaves a great deal to be desired. It's not a careful doctrinal statement. Uh, it's not very precise. And, and in fact, the author would probably say that it wasn't meant to be systematic theology. I, mean, I don't know. I've never heard the author interviewed, but I'm guessing he would say that. Uh, I don't even know where to begin to uh, uh, find fault with it. There's so much that I could say about it, and, and there is a great deal that has been said and, and written about it to criticize it. You know, maybe the most obvious complaint about the book and uh, the most troubling feature to me personally is that in the Bible, only Jesus took on human form. Uh, but in the book and, and in the movie as well, all three persons take on human form, uh, which is obviously contrary to uh, what we believe and, and contrary to what the Bible tells us. Uh, in the book, uh, God, the first person of the Trinity, uh, is an African-American woman who seems to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. And uh, the Holy Spirit is an Asian woman. Uh, the character of Jesus is most closely aligned with uh, the person we uh, read about in the Bible. Uh, and in the book, he is a Jewish carpenter uh, who actually wears a, a tool belt. Uh, so maybe the best we can say, and, and this is pretty good, don't get me wrong, uh, maybe the best we can say is that the book and the movie have started a conversation about uh, something that is very, very important to us. And uh, I hope that you take advantage of that opportunity uh, in the conversations that you have with friends and, and, and colleagues. Uh, if you've ever had a conversation with a Muslim about God, then you know that any talk about the Trinity is a, a, a conversation stopper. Uh, if you've done any traveling at all in areas of the world which are uh, predominantly uh, Muslim, then you have heard the call to prayer five times uh, a day. And, and whenever I hear that call to prayer, it, it always sounds like a rebuke to me. There is no God but God. Right? Over and over again, a daily rejection of, of Christian teaching. So uh, Muslims aren't the only ones who are troubled by the Christian 
understanding of God, uh, Jews too find that our talk about the Trinity is deeply troubling. I mean, have you ever had a conversation with a, a Jewish friend about this? God taking on a human form? That's unthinkable. All the way back in, in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, one of the most important verses uh, in, in all of Scripture for a Jewish believer. All right, uh, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I mean, how much clearer could Scripture be on this subject, a Jewish believer would say? And yet we Christians insist on talking about God not as one, but as three. Why is that? All right, I think the simplest explanation is that this uh, uh, God in three persons language is our way of talking about the mystery and complexity of the God we experience. And as I said a few minutes ago, uh, most of us know this subject intuitively. Uh, we've all had an experience of God, or, or most of us have had an experience of God, but putting all of that into uh, understandable language is very nearly impossible. Uh, I think about those times in my own life when I was most acutely aware uh, of God's presence, and thankfully there have been a, a few of them, and not everyone can say that. Uh, and in spite of the theological training that I have, in spite of the impressive books I have on, on my shelf, I find it very difficult. And you might be surprised to hear me say this, but I, I find it very difficult to describe what I know to be true. The, the, my experience was real, right? But my words are inadequate. Uh, over the years, I've heard uh, uh, more bad children's sermons about the Trinity than I care to remember, and I've given some of them. Uh, have you ever heard the children's sermon that compares the, the, the Trinity to water? Uh, this is actually an illustration of a, a Trinitarian heresy, uh, a famous one known as uh, modalism. Uh, so we tell the children, uh, God is like water, who appears to us as uh, solid and as liquid and as vapor. And uh, I say it to the children, and I feel so proud of myself for having explained this complicated uh, theological concept to them. And they have no idea what I've just said. <laughs> Uh, the, the children in this church are very bright, so maybe, uh, maybe it will make sense to them. Here's another one. I sometimes say to children that uh, I am a father and a husband uh, and a son, but I am the same person uh, with three uh, distinct identities. Uh, and even that is inadequate. I mean, children have no idea. Uh, when I say that, they have no idea what I'm talking about, and I'm sure that some adults had no idea either. Uh, last week I read something that I found very helpful and, and that seemed to me to put this subject uh, very nicely. The, the truth of the Trinity, uh, this person said, the truth of the Trinity is not a, a, a problem to be solved, which is how most of us approach it, right? Rather, it is a solution. And I think that's right. The, the, the Trinity is our explanation, right? The, the, the Trinity is our way of introducing others to the God we have come to know. Uh, the earliest followers of Jesus didn't start with an idea of uh, a, a trinity and then look around for illustrations of it. They came to it slowly as a way to explain what they had experienced. 
to, to put into words what they knew to be true. Uh, most of you already know that the word Trinity appears nowhere in Scripture. And, and when people hear that for the first time, they're typically surprised, as I was. Uh, but as early as Paul's uh, letters, as early as Matthew's Gospel and, and the, the words uh, I read for you today, uh, it, it, I mean, it, we see the words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, together. Same sentence. Jesus, as you heard, was uh, telling the eleven to make disciples of all nations. And then here's the interesting bit, uh, which, by the way, is just as clear in the Greek text. Uh, he tells them to baptize in the name, singular, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one name. Kind of a corporate uh, identity, as though these three people belong together. Three persons, one address. Uh, we know these verses so well, you know, that, that this is hardly startling to us, but it, it should be. Uh, Rudolf Otto was a, a German Lutheran theologian and, and one of the most important theologians of the early 20th century. And in 1917, he published what uh, was probably the most important and, and most well-known book, which was called The Idea of the Holy, or uh, Das Heilige auf Deutsch. Uh, a century later, that book, uh, remarkably, is still in print, is now available in, in uh, 20 languages, and is still required reading for theology students. And it should probably be in our church's uh, bookstall, along with all the other fine books that we have there. It's uh, surprisingly brief. And what was astonishing about that book then and now was uh, Rudolf Otto's description of the experience of God. Too often, he said, our language about God ends up being dry and rational and, and, and therefore lifeless, when the truth is that an experience of God is anything but dry and lifeless. Uh, Rudolf Otto, and I'll never forget the first time that I read this book, and I'm sitting alone in the, the seminary library trying to become a theologian myself, and, and, and Rudolf Otto described for me God's presence as a mystery. Which comes over us and, 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 and takes control of us and overpowers us and then holds us in its grip. And he says that our, our, our creeds and our uh, uh, doctrinal statements can't begin to capture the reality of this God who, who defies description. And, and that day, as I read those words, as I said, I, I never forget this, I remember feeling a, a chill and, a, and having goosebumps, which is not something you ordinarily feel when you read German theologians. Right? But somehow, a, a, a German theologian of all people had finally described for me the God I know and, and the God I, I was training to serve with my life and and, and the God who had invaded my life and, and claimed it for his own. Uh, who was this God? I had lots of words uh, to describe uh, uh, God at this point in my life, but my experience uh, of God uh, was not something that could be captured by the language I had been given. Does that make sense? I mean, I needed something more. This God, uh, the, the one I knew, was uh, far above me. And this God was powerful and, and, and majestic and beyond anything I could imagine or conceive of. But this God was also alongside me, personal. 
This God walked with me throughout my life, and this God was a constant and comforting presence, someone I could talk to or not. Sometimes I found that I simply enjoyed being alone with this God, aware of his presence, but feeling no particular need to say anything, just enjoying the presence of this God in my life. And then finally, this God that I had come to know was within me. A power at work within me, a power that was changing me slowly and sometimes painfully into something new. Something better than I could ever become on my own. And there it is. I mean, do you hear the Trinitarian language? God above me and God alongside me and God within me. And at that moment, I had at last found the Trinity, right? Or the Trinity had found me. You know, but, but not as a doctrine. This was my experience of God, my personal experience, and, uh, and, and I am happy to say that it is my experience today as well. I mean, tell me, I, I, you know that I don't let you off the hook at, at the end of a sermon, so tell me, how do you experience God? You know, what language do you use to describe this God who has met you in, in the person of Jesus Christ, who has claimed your life, who now lives within you, who changes you or is attempting to change you from the inside out? How do you describe this God? I wonder, this is my guess about you, I wonder if you are able to describe this God without using the language of the Trinity. So, tell me, how do you experience God in your life? Will you pray with me? Let us pray. God, we thank you. I mean, what can we do but give you our thanks for the mystery of your presence in our lives. We thank you for the wonderful reality that, that, that we come to know and that we are able to experience. Give us language, we pray, to say what we know to be true. Help us to know and understand and comprehend and grasp your mystery. And we offer this prayer to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.